past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Hello and welcome to The Career Confidant. We're glad you've joined us here today. We are here to give you the tools and resources that you need to take control of your own career and advance in whatever way you want to within your career. And today we've got another wonderful guest to help us achieve that and focus a little bit more on the growth of your career if you are in leadership or even in a, an individual contributor type of position. How do you get ahead? How do you be successful? How do you stand out? And our guest today, Dave Gerber, is the president and founder of Synergy Development Training, and he is a specialist in conflict. And as he and I were just chatting, you know, people typically avoid conflict. They don't want to talk about it or maybe they <laughs> rush into it like a bull, but they don't know it. And it gets us in trouble at work. It makes us not as effective as we could be. And it gets in our way of, of advancing our career, being successful in our career if we're not dealing with it and, and managing it well. So Dave is an expert in that field. And... It's such a great field to be an expert in and have expertise in. So we're so glad that you're here with us today, Dave. Thanks so much, Maria. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about a lot of different aspects of individuals and how that impacts their productivity and the work that they do and what companies kind of get out of them. You know, I'm a fan of the strengths work. And and of course, there's a lot of data that shows if your individuals aren't working to their strengths, they're kind of checked out, they're not um, contributing, and they're costing the company a lot of money. And you've done some research that shares what a company is missing out on or what it's costing them by not resolving conflict. So share some of that data for us. How expensive is conflict for organizations? Oh, uh, you know, first of all, it's great to be here. And hopefully when we, uh, we're finished, people really feel like we've given them some motivational stuff to think about that they can use internally within themselves as well as within their organizations to, to cut down on these conflict dollars. You know, from my experience, you know, firsthand and developing programs and being a part of the subject, I developed a, a tool you know, anybody can check it out. It's free. It's the conflictcalculator.com or conflictcalculator.com. And the reason I put it together is because conflict costs are extremely high. And it really is just a matter of how many commas and zeros you add to the actual number. You know, a standard objection to doing conflict management training a lot of times is supposedly that we can't quantify it. And, and we can. And I think that in many ways that's sort of an excuse to not address the subject. So the tools put together for leaders and C-suite, you know, and HR managers, you know, to sort of be able to have something to start a conversation within their organization. And, and these numbers don't even include, you know, like stuff like turnover, which is between 150 to 400 percent of a person's salary. So now imagine if you simply multiplied people's hourly wage, you know, executives, leaders and staff times every day of the working calendar and then added up everyone's total in one company. 
and that's just one hour. And many leaders and employees would report double digits in terms of the number of hours they they deal with conflicts. So the answer is thousands to hundreds of millions, and it you know, and it, that doesn't include lost wages to uh, issues like you know people checking out, like you mentioned before, or the World Cup, or March Madness, or some of these other distractions that happen. So we can calculate the number. Uh, as a society, and it's, but we don't want to because it's staggering. So, and if so, that inherently means we have to address it. And I think we need to because tensions are very high in this country about everything. Well, and that, that makes a lot of sense that the conflict is going to erode the organization's effectiveness just like any other lack of skill, right? It's a skill. Yeah, and I like to talk about how, you know, conflict's not a dirty word. And I think that now that we're we're feeling uh, more, society's feeling a little more abrasive. We're seeing a loss of some of the some of the standard practices of respect, and people are for for lots of different reasons, rightfully so, uh, and are sensitive to issues that are important to them, and therefore it's I think everybody's cup runneth over, so to speak, a little bit sooner. Um, you know, I'd also say that it was interesting if I could share a story, a real quick story that happened two days ago when I was talking to a leader and talked to him about the conflict calculator, and he even agreed that that was a good tool, and and then he still wasn't sort of satisfied. So I said, "Listen, if if I were to offer to work for your company for one year for free, would you be willing to pay me fifty or forty or thirty percent of all the money saved due to?" you know, reduce conflict, you know, situations like reduced turnover, you know, increased retention, building higher performing teams, you know, reduce meeting times, faster, better results, loyalty. He smiled and he said no, because he sort of knew that we were talking about millions of dollars. So whether we quantify it with a calculator or we acknowledge it, that we what we all know is sort of intuitively to be true is conflict is costing a lot of money and we can standardize conflict management solutions, and I like to talk about how that's sort of low-hanging fruit with a great payoff. Well, and I think it's also important, and you can share with me your thoughts, that we also get a loss if we avoid conflict. So I've got, you know, engineering companies that I know where people are not great at conflict, so they avoid it, and it's not rewarded to question, and and you kind of miss out, well, you don't kind of, you miss out on innovation when people are so worried about avoiding conflict that they don't do it, right? Because there's this, we don't want so much conflict that people are are ineffective, but we also can't have everybody avoiding conflict to the point where there's no new ideas and no one's able to question anything else that anybody else says, um, because then you you can't innovate. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you made a couple good points. One is that, you know, we have to set up the rules before we play the game. So one of the things I help organizations do is create conflict charters. Uh, and a lot, you know, a lot of industries are use project managers, so they're even familiar with the term project charter. So using creating conflict charters, setting up the rules before you play the game is a huge part of b- creating a collaborative uh, set of procedures, so to speak, of how groups, high performing teams are going to move forward and organizations going to move forward and people understand that. So it gives them guidelines and some boundaries that they can cling to and use to help them go through it. Uh, that that That's huge. And, you know, 
in many ways, when if we're honest, as leaders and organizations, we're it's like we're asking goldfish to climb trees. You know, we're asking people who come from 140 countries with different cultures, with different parents, with different teachers, different socializations, and all of these differences, which are good, yet they all bring different existing, lack of existing conflict management skills, and we're expecting them to all work well. Did definitely and, and communicate well and bring those differences, but wait, don't bring them so much that then you're causing conflict, right? So I'm guessing that this conflict charter is one of the the conflict management procedures that you use. Tell me a little bit more about how you standardize conflict management for folks. So, so what I like to tell people is, you know, the solutions to dealing with conflict are are not so abstract and ambiguous. They're actually, you know, it's been something I've been doing for a long time. So what I do is I start organizations off with learning a particular uh, f- format, a particular what it's what I call a multi-generational conflict uh, conflict planning model. And it gives people similar conflict fluency to begin to talk about issues in a similar way so that they all understand not only how we're going to play the game, but when we're in the game, so to speak, how we're going to work together with one another and uh, prepare for difficult conversations, conflict management discussions, performance appraisals, uh, difficult conversations of all kinds so that we can get the win-wins. So I usually, I, I teach them this this tool and I teach them other fundamental principles that come out of the best practices of the conflict management community to give language so that now people start to realize that so much of the conflict that happens isn't really personal. It becomes personal because it comes from another source, but we don't really, and we're never really taught the skills of how to do this and have what I call proactive, positive confrontations. And, and I think that's critical. Okay, so getting some procedures ahead of time, just like we have for most other work-related, you know, how we run a meeting or how you do these things. So ahead of time, people can agree on the process for working through a conflict, for for bringing up conflict, and and working through it within a team. Yeah, and that charter can go all the way up to issues, sensitive issues like sexual harassment. What's going to happen if this is the particular type of conflict that happens? Who's who do we report to? Is there an alternative to report to, to that person? Like, and the and the great thing and the thing that I love about this tool is that it is created by the team, which means people are more likely to buy into it and own it and live to it. And it's it's definitely for leaders. It's not a tool we just sort of say, okay, here's our conflict charter. Uh, and at and the same time, it's a great way to facilitate, you know, togetherness and teamwork in developing something that's going to have such great payoff for, you know, either project, the scope of the project or, you know, the scope of the organization. Okay, good, good. 
Well, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking about conflict and and the tool that you use, a little bit more about um, what you think are the key pieces of that tool that people will, will need to be effective so that they can take something away today that they can use in their teams to better address the, the conflict. So we'll take a short break. We'll be right back here in just a few minutes on The Career Confidant. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on The Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant, and today we're talking with Dave Gerber about conflict and how we can manage conflict better within organizations as leaders or even as individual contributors. You may get some ideas on things you could bring back to your leaders or ways that you could manage conflict better yourself. It works probably best as a as an organizational approach, Dave, but I'm sure there's some things individuals can do on their own too, so we'll talk a little bit about that. So let's talk a little bit more about this tool and what are some of the key aspects of the of a conflict man of this conflict management tool that are important for people if they're going to try to do something within their organization. So the first one I'll share with you is a tool which is not mine, but it's one that's fundamental and I think you know uh, easy for people to digest, particularly in this format, and can turn around and apply it. And then the second one, the model, I can share a little bit about my personal model that I've developed and uh, answer some questions around that. The, the tool is, is, is interesting. Uh, it, it, it is, Christopher Moore says, uh, said that all conflicts can be found in one or more of five sources, but they traditionally have a primary source. 
So the tool, the, the tool is used, the sources of conflicts tool is used, is used to determine the primary source of conflict to help you better take two steps back to find a better long lasting solution. And what happens is, is oftentimes people mischaracterize or put the, the, it put the conflict in the wrong source and therefore the conflict doesn't go away or it doesn't get a very good solution. So what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is share those five sources and I think it would be a great tool for your listeners to be able to immediately turn around and, and use to start thinking about how to get better solutions to their conflicts. Would that be all right? Wonderful, yeah. So our five sources of conflict. Right, so the five sources, the first one is data or information. Um, the conflict could be around, I don't have the data, you didn't give me the data, uh, I disagree with the data, the information is wrong, uh, you get it. And, and a good example of one way organizations reduce data conflicts was by creating what they call the intranet. And a lot of organizations have that because they wanted to take standardized information, put it out there so that the mass of people reading it got the same message and there was less confusion and fewer questions. And so that's a good example of data. Now, what happens, and I like to pause with this first one because what happens is a lot of times conflicts are data conflicts, but if they're not addressed at the data level, then they be, usually become a, a different type of conflict, which I'll get to, which is diff, more difficult to solve. So, for example, if one employee needs to have their supervisor sign off on a piece of paper before they leave on Friday for work, and that employee can never find uh, that supervisor for the signature, it becomes very frustrating. A lot of people would say, well, you know, why don't you two just sit down? You're both good people. You could talk it out. Actually, it's a very simple process. If they could just agree where they would be to get the data signed, there wouldn't be a conflict. But what happens is they don't get solved at the lowest level possible, so they turn into other conflicts. And for instance, that type of conflict turns into the third conflict, which I'll get to in a second, but that is relationship conflicts. So as you can imagine, as we go down this list, they get more difficult to solve. So the first is data conflicts. Uh, the second are conflicts of interest or expectations. As you can imagine, that's uh, another category where people really can struggle, uh, whether it's supervisory to employee or horizontally, it doesn't matter. People have different expectations of how certain things should be done, whether it's what time they leave for work or come and go or how it gets done. You know, conflict, if, if we give it a definition, is really a a disagreement about the end result or how we're going to get there. So it's not hard to find ourselves in conflict. So the second one is interest. The third one is relationships. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in the 80-20 rule. So, you know, I think 10% of people, you know, at a job would ask, I would think most people would ask 10% to their home. They would never want to see 10% again if they could. Uh, and 80% fall somewhere in the middle. And, you know, if that's the case, the reality of probably most people's conflict actually lies with that other 10% uh, th that they don't really want to talk to and therefore conflict management skills become even more important. So relationship skills, trust, all that, all those types of issues can get intractable and, and create more conflict dollars lost. The fourth one is structural and this is often very frustrating for people because structural conflicts are conflicts that are uh, like process and procedure 
how things get done, usually determined by the larger company. So it's kind of like if I didn't make the policy and you didn't make the policy, why are we having an argument or a conflict with each other about the policy? So those can be very stressed, frustrating, sorry, and, and people feeling like they don't have a lot of recourse. And the last one is values. And you can ask someone to change their values, but as we know, most likely it's not going to happen. So values, and particularly I think right now in a society that has got a lot going on and conflict is high and friction is, is there, I think this becomes where, where one of the challenges lies. And rather than talk about values, because you can't talk about them in the workplace very often, uh, you can talk about behaviors. Values usually show up as behaviors, and you can talk about those. I guess the last thing I would say is that leaders have to be careful, and, and individuals and professionals have to be careful. And you can use this in your personal life, too. But you have to be careful not to take the easy way out and say, well, it's some of this one, and it's some of that one. And so that doesn't get you anywhere. You need there. There will be a primary source of conflict, and and in fact, if two people in conflict disagree on the primary source, if they still have the vocabulary like this to talk about it, they're more likely to talk about it, and not fight about it. Okay, so we're helping people figure out what really is the source of the conflict, what's causing causing the the main issue. Um, and then how can they move forward and fix it? So if people are saying, oh, it's just because I don't have the data, but the real reason is the relationship, right? The two just really hate each other. You're not going to be able to solve the conflict because you're not addressing the real issue. Absolutely. Well said. Okay. And that happens, right? We like to blame maybe the easier solve, and then we get the data, and, and guess what? The conflict's still there, and so we're we're not doing anything with it. We're not really moving it moving the the conversation forward. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this model that you have um, that, that helps folks. So I, I teach a model and I've taught, you know, thousands of leaders and employees this model. And it's a, I call it the multi-generational conflict planning model. And what it does is it allows individuals uh, wherever they are in the organization to plan for difficult conversations. And it's a visual model, and, and I'll tell you a little bit about it, um, but it's a it's visual model, and you know most people, I think, are a visual learner at, at some point. So it also allows them to plan and to write their sort of planning down on the model before they have difficult conversations. You know, when conflict happens, it usually happens in one of two ways. Either it's sort of like thrust into our face, you know, and we have to deal with it right there or we have time to plan for it. Like, you know, we're going to meet with the boss or we're going to meet with an employee the next day at 930 in the morning. So what I help people do is reduce ambiguity in those difficult, you know, conversations, negotiations uh, by helping them plan, thinking and considering both sides of the of both parties and using a, a, a graphic to help people look at underlying issues and by doing so, they can generally reduce ambiguity and then therefore reduce the negative physiological responses that show up when we're in conflict that often add to or get in the way of our ability to communicate effectively and be really good listeners. Interesting, yeah, because there's some body stuff that happens when we're in conflict um, that makes us not able to communicate well. 
Yeah, and the statistics, you know, you know, the statistics are only seven percent are the words that we use. Thirty-eight percent is the you know tone and inflection, and fifty-five percent is body language. And so I generally say that whatever speaks the loudest is what people are going to listen to. So you can say I love you, but if you're ranting and raving with your arms and your you know your eyes are popping out of your head, it's not going to be a. It, that's not the message that's going to come across. And alignment for those things is truly critical and it takes time and effort and reflection and purposeful uh, thought and intention around wanting to make sure that those things happen, particularly for, for difficult conversations. I mean, that's what, you know, reality is we're all sort of physiologically prepared for the saber toothed tiger. And, and a lot of that hasn't changed. So we have to sort of maintain uh, when we when we deal with it. And that's why getting back to something you started with, why a lot of people avoid conflicts because they don't like, you know, how it feels. They have a the, their long-term memory and their emotional core in the same part of their inner brain. So they feel it and they it resonates with them. And so it's tough. And so what I like to do is use the model, use these tools to help simplify the subject, simplify the complex and the difficult so that people, you know, if you can name it, you can change it. Right. And having the thought about this, that it's not any different than a lot of other things that having a process, having some tools can make us more effective. And, and it is a skill that we can learn, we can get better at. And to me, that always helps when it's like, oh, this is this is a skill. It's something we can practice. It's something we can get good at. Um, it's not a, you know, it's not you, you either have it or you don't. And I would say with this, it's even more so that we're all on the same level. Everybody sucks at it. So, you know, we can all work at it together. Absolutely. And, you know, one place is we judge ourselves by our intentions and other people by their behavior. Mm. And, you know, and so we have to start giving each other a little bit of a break, you know, stepping back and and thinking, you know, did that person intend to offend me or did I just not like the language that was used when the person disagreed with me? And so when we and those are really hard distinctions to make in conflict and require, you know, lots of practice. And so that's why, you know, every situation sort of counts. So it's kind of like we can practice this stuff with our family at the grocery store. And then when we're in conflict, maybe at work where the stakes are higher in many cases, we we show up as a better version of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Those relationships at home may have maybe more uh, to lose, but we get more leeway and we can practice there and then at work where we might not get as much leadway we'll have some of those tools i love to help people do that you know practice this at home and at home it may be harder in some ways because you have more emotion and engaged more emotion involved and maybe more history with those people and then when you're practicing there and and trying to do these things there it really brings that intentionality that that then carries over into a work environment so perfect Tell people, Dave, how they can find you, how they can follow you, how they can learn more from you. Uh, absolutely. Thank you. So you can find me, Dave Gerber, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can email me at Gerber, my last name at the word Synergy, Gerber at SynergyDT.com. Uh, you can, I have some groups on LinkedIn I've just started. 
And I'm excited in September I'll be starting a Voice America show preparing for robots. So you can follow me on that show, too. Oh, wonderful. Well, that sounds great. I'll have to start listening into that in September. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Wonderful. Well, we... As you know, listeners, we're going to say goodbye to Dave. He has given you some wonderful information today. We are going to come back, and you can sit here with me and unpack this and operationalize what it might mean for you. We're going to talk a little bit more about those five sources of conflict, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the importance and of conflict in creativity and innovation and some ways that you can um, stop avoiding it. So you can actually get some innovation into your process, your company, your, your team. We'll be right back here on the Career Confidant in just a few minutes, but we're going to say goodbye and thank you to Dave Gerber. Thank you. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career you can have the foresight skills and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities a strategic advantage and career expert marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused get found and get hired Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you tapped your full potential as a leader? Sometimes you have to go a little deeper and connect with your inner force. Join host Angela King as she invites you to discover something that already lies within you and helps you become a better leader. Your most important connection is the one you have with yourself. It's time to connect, ignite, and rise. It's time for Inner Force. Tune in live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at astrategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we've been talking to Dave Gerber about conflict in the workplace and how you can manage it and a lot of what he has shared is structured around having a process to 
manage conflict, have an, a process to lead people through managing conflict ahead of time so that it's it's not a taboo subject. It's not something that people are surprised by. There's some kind of process set up from the very beginning that they can follow to manage that conflict. And this is important for a lot of reasons within a business, as, as he shared in the very beginning with his conflict calculator, all the different ways that businesses suffer when there is conflict, the less, less effective, less productive, higher turnover, all of the outcomes that you would expect, right? When you see high conflict within a a company and they don't have a way to manage it, eventually that's going to start eroding away at their business success. However, kind of on the reverse side, when people have started to get to that point where they avoid conflict, and you can see this in specific cultures, um, you might see it at certain companies, here in the U.S., kind of the Midwestern culture is known for being the top the top group of, of conflict avoiders, right? Just be nice, just pretend you don't show emotion, you don't, um, you know, you don't, you don't question, you don't, um, you don't make a fuss, and and that avoidance of conflict actually has business implications as well and one of them that I was chatting about with Dave is the the lack of innovation if no one feels like they can question anyone or that if they start a a conversation that isn't a hundred percent pleasant that they're going to be in trouble or ostracized then you can't do anything new right you can't do anything different you can't evolve as a business if there's no place for conflict. So it's really not surprising that a lot of the research around this says that there's some kind of happy medium in terms of conflict. A workplace or group without any conflict doesn't get anywhere, and a workplace or group that has tons of conflict and is is always ridden with conflict doesn't get anywhere. It's kind of common sense. It's nice that there's some research to back that up. And, you know, when we think about, you you go to the very basics of the process of a group coming together where you have the kind of forming where a group comes together and then they norm, they set their rules, and then they storm, right? All all high-performing groups go through that storming phase, and that's where people kind of figure out how to interact and really renorm based on how that conflict is handled. And if you don't have a process for that, then the group doesn't ever work well together. At companies, that process is not so well defined because they're almost constantly forming a new group, right? A new project or a new person comes in or something else happens and nothing is really static enough for that group to perhaps move through those phases linearly, or as you're moving through the process and going through the group dynamics, there's no guidelines. So when you get to that storming phase, you know, most of us don't sit around as adults and, and norm, think about how are we going to interact together because it sounds so kumbaya and campy, 
But then when we don't do that, we end up at this place where we get to storming, no one knows how to handle it, and boom, everybody's being ineffective. Because that norming that comes out of the storming is not healthy. It's either this is the way that we're going to handle conflict in the group, and it's a very unhealthy way. You know, these people are always going to be the the dominance and, and you've got to get in line or whatever the structure is set up or the norming around that group process becomes there's just no place for conflict, which isn't realistic. It's going to show up itself in different ways or it, it's stifling your innovation or probably a little bit of both. So I've seen this a lot at companies, and most of the companies I work with because of my background tend to be technical in nature, and so you do tend to have that um, less overt dealing of conflict because of the the personality types involved, more quiet folks, and, and the conflict is very structured to maintain that outward decorum perhaps um, but not really have any real communication this is a communication skill and we can talk about it we can you know help people gain the skill and as Dave was sharing we can also set up some processes that help set up how this is going to happen I loved his idea you know most of the teams and companies and groups that I work with have projects and they do a project charter. This is what the charter, this is what the project scope is. This is what the cost is. This is what people's roles are. And when you're setting up that kind of project charter, I love his idea of going along with that and setting up a conflict charter. This is how we're going to manage conflict. And you could do this as he kind of talked about at an organizational level, or you could do it at a team level and really look at how does the team handle conflict on a global basis? How does the organization handle conflict on a global basis? And you're setting those ground rules so that not every group has to go through the quote-unquote norming phase, although there may be some benefit to them doing that um, individually as teams, and they could do it along with their project charter, to really think about how are we going to handle communication. He talked about those five sources of conflict and under structural, you, you know, sometimes we set up structural conflict by creating, mm, I'm going to say like an hourglass, right, where the project has to get through this one person to move forward and that person's too busy. Or as he was talking about the, kind of data conflict where people don't have the same data and maybe a little bit of that is structural too where the data isn't on a forum that everyone can get to it or there's some power given to people to hold the data so that then they hold it and they don't have to share it and you know I made these changes on my system but I didn't share it back to the computer so there's some structural and kind of maybe littler levels of conflict that we can solve through process that can be important because then they don't lead to bigger types of conflicts or don't spark people to go to a different level of conflict. So if I already, 
you know, kind of have relationship issues with you, which is another level of, of conflict. If I kind of have those relationship issues, but then there's some structural conflict set up that exacerbate that, that every time you and I have to work on a project together, we're not keeping our data where we're supposed to, and or there's not a structure where we can share our data with each other, and so I have to wait for you to get back to me, and, you know, that kind of structural conflict exasperates, adds to the, um, the relational conflict we might not want to focus on the structural conflict first, but if we don't have as many of those, then we can spend our time and effort addressing some of those relationship issues. And, you know, Dave talked a little bit about body language and the importance of body language when we're in these conflicts. And I would say that the even the email that goes back and forth can be worse because if we're already in conflict with someone, we're going to read that email and add our own inflections that may not have been there to make that e- email conversation worse. So whether it's body language or not, and thinking about when you are in conflict with someone, how can you get rid of some of that ambiguity? It may be getting on the phone instead of an email or going to them face-to-face if you can, so that it's really clear what you're saying and what your body language is, and there's not that opportunity for them to add inflection into the conversation itself. And that may be one of the pieces you put into your project charter, that when there's a, a question or an opportunity that may lead to conflict. We agree that we'll do those things in person or over the phone, not via email. And giving people permission to do that, reminding people about that, because we just get so auto with email that it can really get in the way and, and exasperate some of these things. And then talking through those values, that was the other piece of conflict that he talked about Um, I remember working with an employee and she said, you know, my boss is the worst boss ever. He never gives me any detail. He never tells me what to do. Well, that's a value, right? That's that person judging the boss and saying you're a bad boss because you don't do these things. I, as that person's employee, would say you're a great boss because you let me do things in my own process the way that I want to do them. So we've got to recognize sometimes that our judgments are based on our own value around something, not necessarily a black and white. And if we communicate that to the person that, you know, to be effective, I, I need more of this, and they don't do it, then they, you know, there's an issue. But if we're just judging that based on our value, then we may be creating conflict that, that doesn't necessarily have to be there because of that. I loved this statement. If you didn't write it down, write it down. I didn't ask Dave if this was his or if you found it somewhere, I'll have to Google it. We judge ourselves by our intentions. So we judge ourselves, knowing that oh, I didn't mean for that that way or I meant for that to be nicely said. So we judge ourselves by our intentions because we know what we were trying to achieve. We judge others by their behavior and I would say by, their, by our interpretation of their behavior, by our filter of their behavior. We don't give them the same benefit 
of that intention. And I always say one of the hardest things we can do at work, whether we're individual contributor or a leader, is assume good intention by those people every day, all the time. And people say, oh, you know, then people walk all over you. No, we're not talking about being naive. We're talking about before you jump to judgment, assume good intentions. Give them the same benefit of the doubt that you give yourself. I love that. Write that down. We judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge others by our interpretation, our filtered view of their behavior. We're going to take a short break, come back in just a few minutes, and close this up for you. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we've been talking about conflict and really about normalizing and standardizing conflict so that it is not hindering your business performance. And what this does then is give people the opportunity to have maybe what really isn't conflict, it's just a conversation. But we consider it to be conflict or we maybe magnetize it into a place of conflict because we don't have these tools. 
So if you and I are working on a project and we want to come up with some new ideas for that project, if there's not a process or a way to go through a discussion around ideas and things always turn personal, we're going to struggle to ever get anywhere. And we're going to struggle to come up with new ideas because if I change what you do, it becomes this huge issue. And, you know, this happens at the very basic levels. I know an individual whose job it is to test software, right? So it's this gentleman's job to test software. The guy who writes the software sees any negative feedback, any changes presented by the tester as an attack. That's the basic level of what this guy's supposed to do is provide feedback about what needs to change in the software. But if every change and every suggestion or, hey, this is, this is broken, is seen as a personal attack, you're not, you can't go anywhere, right? The person doesn't take any of that feedback. They don't make any of the changes and the software is subpar. That's what happens. Not even, not innovative. It's subpar. Now, getting to the bottom levels of that conflict is going to show us that this conversation really isn't about innovation at all. It's about some of these basic things. I would say that there, there's definitely some relational conflict going on, right? And there may be some structural conflict going on. And you've got to decide which one is the which one is the root of that conflict. But the process that's set up for those two to handle that is non-existent. So then it, it, it gets worse. When you have language and process to help people talk through some of these real conflicts, the, the idea is, what I'm gathering from Dave, that then you have a process, you've set it up ahead of time, and hopefully what happens is that you avoid some of these conflicts while still having the critical conversations that we need to have because instead of having these underlying issues rise up and bite us when we're really just trying to have a conversation about ideas, we can stick to the real problem, right? The real discussion instead of devolving into letting these emotional issues eat away at us. And the first step is to realize that it's happening. First step is to realize that emotions matter, which is hard for most of us in the workplace. We want to think that it's, you know, oh, I I don't bring my emotions to work. <laughs> yeah, right. That's like saying you don't bring your head to work. It doesn't, doesn't happen. None of us can do that. So re- recognizing that you have that emotion, that you have that emotional response. And as Dave said, it's physiological. It's something that I can see. I can see when you get mad. You have to figure out how to manage that, how to communicate it around it. Maybe avoid it, but that's far along the spectrum of being able to be managing that. First of it's just figuring out how to acknowledge it, communicate around it. Then maybe you figure out how to manage it. That's physiological. 
and I can see it, which means it automatically escalates our, our, our conversation to a place that it maybe doesn't need to go and isn't productive because we're escalating down that place. So there's also another, it's interesting that these are both fives, but there's another five types of conflict dominating. We can see what that looks like, right? Avoiding, obliging, compromising, and problem solving. I love to look at these as animals, and there's the animals of conflict, shark dominating, right? Teddy bear, which is usually that avoider. I'm going to just hug everybody and make it all okay. The fox, which might be compromising, which sometimes you think, oh, that's great, and and it can be, but it can also be a mischievous use of that. Then you have the turtle. That's your serious avoider. Stick your head into that shell. And then you have the owl, who's meant to be seen as the problem solver. We have to be careful not to think that problem-solving approach doesn't also have its issues, mainly in how it's uh, approached and how people respond to it. You know, if you're always the wise owl who comes in and says, we should do this to solve this conflict, people start to resent that too. So we have to manage how we we approach that and how we include others in the problem solving, not always swooping in to be the person that's going to rescue everyone. So thinking about your models for conflict personally, how do you do conflict? What are the, the ways that you tend to approach conflict how does your organization do conflict? And how can you bring in some tools that perhaps perhaps help your team be better at managing conflict? Whether it's an understanding of these five sources of conflict from Christopher Moore, the five types of conflict that I just talked about, which is from Sorensen, Morse, and, and Savage. It's more data-focused, I guess. And then a model for how you're going to handle conflict. What does the communication pattern look like for this project? What are acceptable ways to bring up new ideas? What do people do when they feel attacked? How can you manage that within your team ahead of time so that people can have the conversation and really think about how they're going to manage conflict? Because if you don't talk about it, It will still be there. It will still happen. People just won't have the tools or process to handle it. And if you sweep it under the rug, they're going to sweep it under the rug until it boils up and and bites them in most likely a very unproductive way. And then you're not using any of the positive forces you could use of conflict. You're just getting the negatives of, of what happens after you sweep it under the rug and it grows a big enough bite to bite through that rug. We'll be right back here again next week with a great topic and an interesting guest. So I hope that you'll join us next week on The Career Confidant. Until then, you're always welcome to reach out to me, Marie, M-A-R-I-E, at careerthoughtleaders.com. And we look forward to seeing you again here next week on The Career Confidant. (music) 
Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then.